0: Hey everybody! Welcome to season two, episode two. I hope you guys can like hear the little jig that I'm doing when I say that um, of the stories. I'm really excited and slightly nervous for today's episode, um, which you guys will hear more about in a bit. But it is, I guess, in some ways, it's an interview, but. Not really, because I'm going to be the only person talking, but I was able to bring in a lot of people that I care about a lot to this episode, which means the world to me. Um, And it's just a different way of approaching episodes of a podcast, which was a part of my goals for the stories in 2021 was to just push myself and to also realize I don't have to do everything alone. And things are actually a lot better when I'm doing them, just not by myself, because I'm only one person um, and a lot of my inspiration comes from other people, even the inspiration to start this podcast. So I'm excited for you all to hear today's episode. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Um, and, and I'm just basically ready to jump in first off with the weirdest question. I never thought I would ask this question on my podcast, but I don't know. Have, have you guys ever heard the song Freaky Friday by Lil Dicky? <laughs> That felt just as weird as I thought it would. Awesome. Um, well, I remember the first time I heard the song all the way through, I was at a bar in college. Once again, it's called Freaky Friday. And it's the song that he does with Chris Brown. And if you know it, you know it. And you can probably already tell where this intro is going. Um, but the song came on when I was at a bar in college and everyone moved like their lives depended on it to what's called the boom boom room or go to that. If you know, you know. If you don't, honestly, you're probably blessed not to. (laughs) Um, But anyways, when this song came out, like it was on the radio, I swear to you, 24-7. And it was one of those that was really popular, and I knew everyone loved it, and I kind of liked the beat from what I could hear. So when it came on at the bar, everybody was like, amped. We were like, this is it. For a minute, we're not getting country music. Maybe that was just me. But um, anyways, so I made my way right along with them. I was like, I want to dance. I'm about to enjoy myself. This is going to be good. Um, and so we're in the boom boom room doing our thing until at one point in the song The rapper says the n-word and I checked this like I looked up the lyrics 11 times back to back And it was interesting because it was one of the few times i've heard a white rapper use that word Um, and even so if i've heard a white rapper use it, which is honestly I can't even I don't even know if i've actually heard that i'm just kind of assuming but i Feel like typically they really avoid saying that obviously um, and so I had a little bit of a shock factor and I know that the white people around me could likely agree on that point that they'd like never heard a white person say that word so confidently that was not in a movie on, you know, race or something like that. It was just probably the first time they heard it said, I, I don't want to say in a positive way because I don't believe that at all, but in a way that they felt like they could say it too. And what shocked me was the amount of them that felt confident because he did it to scream the word right along with him over and over and over again. And it's also important to note that not every person in the room said this, but enough did to make me want to literally evaporate into the floor under my feet. Like I just, it was one of the most awkward, uncomfortable moments for me. It was odd because I know no one was calling me that, but to watch, I don't know, and for my black listeners, I'm sure there's been a moment where you've heard this song and, or maybe they're maybe not as evident, but for me, I was looking around and I was just like, "Wait, what is this world that I've entered into? What is this world that I'm surrounding myself with? And so I was reflecting on this memory the other day and the many conversations I've had with my black friends about their moment with a white person and this song specifically like this specific song comes up in conversations because it's something that some people are like yeah like I literally never listened to the song or some people are like yeah it's weird how it makes people feel confident in saying it but the one thing that all the stories had in common was discomfort an awkward feeling of not wanting to start a discussion over a weird rap song but also being conflicted on what it meant to be silent After reflecting on that from the black point of view, which is my only point of view, I thought of all the conversations I've had with my white friends that were stimulating, honest, and sometimes a little bit uncomfy. These are necessary realms to go through when having conversations on race and people like me basically live for these moments. Like I'm all about the uncomfortable conversations. But to try to capture it for this episode, I asked some of my white friends prior to this last week, what questions do you have regarding race that you felt too uncomfortable to ask before? Really as simple as that. And I knew it was putting them on the spot. And I really backed it up with saying, like, by the way, if you're really, if you're feeling like this is just a way to get yourself, you know, tied into something, or if you're feeling a little bit nervous about this, don't feel like you have to do this. But if there's something on your mind, I want you to share it and I want to talk about it. And so I asked them this though, because a conversation takes more than one party. It takes a giver and a receiver to have a conversation on race. And the roles have to shift back and forth. And I'm not one for shifting I'm not I'm not one for I really like to be the one that's in charge of the conversation middle of the conversation end of the conversation and it's something that I'm always working on but it's also something that I realize I don't necessarily have to do all the time because most of the people in my life white and black want to have both sides of the conversation they want to be a part of the whole thing so today I'm going to be the receiver and answer questions that have been given to me in trust and confidence I'm going to keep everybody anonymous, but know that these people challenge themselves and me every day by working as hard as they can to learn and then teach. So the first question that I wanted to answer is, how did it feel growing up in the South and discovering, dis- discussing slavery, the Civil War, and the Civil Rights Movement? It seems that we just passed over these subjects so quick in school and never truly discussed the impact of slavery in the nation and everything stemmed from it. How do you hope education, both public and private, changes in the future for when our children are learning these subjects? That is an incredible question. And there have been, so I, as a quick side note, I love Twitter. And I think it is hilarious. And I think it's an incredible source of news. And I think it is one aspect of social media for me personally that does not make me feel insecure or like I need to own up to anything because I just know I'm not as funny and I'm not as witty as the people on there. So I just get to enjoy it similar to TikTok, except I, I tried that and it didn't work. Um, but a t- this reminds me of a tweet or like a, a theme of tweets on what Black Twitter, where it's like talking about, it's basically reenacting in a funny way, the way everybody would look at you when the slavery topic would come up in class. And What's funny to me, when I reflect back on those moments being in um, elementary school, middle school, high school, when we were having, and this person's completely right, it was definitely brushed over, but these brushed over conversations on slavery and whatnot, it was still probably the hardest, worst, most miserable 10 to 15 minutes of my day. And I think it's because, like, when the topic was discussed, and I think it's because of the way it was introduced by my teachers, by the books that we were reading. Um, And so I just remember being really miserable through those moments because I didn't want us to talk about it because it wasn't in a way that was empowering. It wasn't in a way that, you know, made it clear that slavery was wrong. Look how far we've come. Slavery was wrong. Look how there's still some elements of it. It wasn't that. It was just basically saying what it was and everyone felt very uncomfortable. And I think that's where a lot of this discomfort stems from. I think so. And this is me also. I have not read these questions prior. I like glazed over them. So sorry if I'm rambling a bit. But I think the root of the awkwardness that comes with talking about race now for people our age is because it was never introduced in a way that was honest when we were in elementary, middle, and high school, which I'm in sp- I'm speaking specifically about my experiences. I know a lot of people relate to this, but maybe one of you went to some school where they were like, no, we're talking about this. We're going to make it an important conversation and we're going to grow from it. Um, but that's not the way it was introduced. And it was introduced in a way where it was uncomfortable, where kids would laugh and get really awkward, where they would look at you and you just felt like, you just, if if anything, honestly, if you would have asked me this when I was in fifth or sixth grade, I probably would have said, I wish we just wouldn't cover it because that's how horrible it felt to talk about it in school. Um, and I don't blame anybody specifically for that. I think it's the way that education at the school that I went to was, which I'm happy to share. It was a private Catholic school. So it's a very kind of interesting <laughs> demographic, um, to say the least. So I just remember it being really miserable and I hate that. And I've listened to the podcast, oh my gosh, I hope it's not, I hope I'm saying it, I think it's called 1617. And it's a New York Times podcast where this incredible reporter is going through, she's a reporter, but obviously she recorded this and she's going through the different stages of slavery, how it began, what it accumulated to, how it still impacts everything we know today and the way she explains it and empowered is such a weird word to use when talking about slavery, but the way she talks about it made me feel comfortable listening to it and didn't make me look at the color of my skin and feel sad or you know, feel this weird sense of anger. It was just honest information that I was able to take in and then regurgitate to other people. So I think that schools have a lot to learn from that. I think that schools, some schools are actually integrating that the podcast I just mentioned, which if I got it wrong, I'll correct it on my Instagram story or whatever, um, the name of it, but a lot of schools are incorporating that into their teaching. And I think that is the way to answer the second part of the question, how I hope education changes in the future. And I see a lot of this in my friends that are teachers in the way that they understand what I'm saying fully. And they're making sure that the kids in their classrooms do not ever feel that way. And they're making sure that the conversations are stimulating and that they're honest and that they're you know, consistently happening. It's not like a one day we talk about slavery, we don't have to talk about it again for the rest of the year. So yeah, it's interesting to reflect back and realize, you know, had you asked me that question when I was younger, I probably would have said, I wish we would just skip it. And that's simply because the way it was introduced was hor- horrible and horrifying and, and, you know, maybe it was the one day a year thing that just really made it something to dread until it happens. And once it's over, I felt this weird sense of relief. And so I hope that my children don't feel that way or I know that they won't because I'm going to be talking to them about it all the time if, if their teachers aren't. Um, but that's something that I'd hope for the future. So that's a great question. Another one, oh, this one is interesting. If you've ever been, if you've ever been in a wedding or getting your makeup done, do makeup artists have all the right makeup for your skin? It seems that there are more shades for fair skin to medium than there are for darker skin, and it seems very backwards. How was that growing up? Were there good options for you or was it a struggle? Also, are they able to do your hair well or will you have to go to someone who knows specifically how to style your type of hair? That's a really, really great question. Um, I have not been in a wedding yet. I'm that is going to change I know, um, at some point soon. And it's definitely one of the first things that I think about when I think about how fun it's going to be to be a bridesmaid, because I'm also like, I'm a girl's girl. Like the idea of being a bridesmaid is just creme de la creme, chef's kiss. Like that's that I know that's going to be where I thrive, even though I've not done it yet. Um, But something that's always kind of looming in the back of my head is okay, but what am I going to do about my makeup and what am I going to do about my hair? And it's a conversation that I've actually had with my hairstylist who is incredible and who, I mean, I wish I could just take her with me wherever I go for the rest of my life to do my hair. But we were, t- we were talking about that once and she was saying, when you are asked to be in a wedding, um, you know, you need to make sure that, that, you need to let me know and let me know the style that they're wanting to do so that I can either tell you if the stylist who will likely be white doing your hair can do it or if I need to come do it for you or if you need to come to me and do it and then travel back, which is something that I'm really going to have to think about. Um, focusing on the hair front, the makeup front, definitely too. It's something that I think about 24-7. Luckily though, which is the luckily something I've realized is that when I am at a point where I'm in my friend's weddings, it's people that I'm close enough with that, I've had conversations like this with or would feel very confident having a conversation with them about it. And honestly, they have probably already thought of it because you have to think these are your best friends in the world. Right. So it's not going to be the first conversation that I'm looking forward to have when one of my friends gets married. Of course, that's not like the thing I'm on it for. But I know that it's a conversation that I'm going to have to have and that I'm going to need to think through. Um, getting my makeup done in the past has always been, I hate getting my makeup done. And some people are just this way. I'm definitely this way. I feel like I wear makeup for sure and I love it, but I don't wear a lot of it. And so whenever someone puts a lot of makeup on me, it's always weird. It's always difficult um, just because the the tone of my skin. So to find somebody that understands the tone of my skin and my personality is a hard thing, which I think probably someone from any race could probably say that. Um, but something that this reminds me of when I was in Italy a few summers ago, I ran out of my foundation, and I'd been using. I want to say, oh gosh, I don't remember it was. It was when I was still buying foundation at like CVS. So like, also if you buy foundation at CVS, I do not judge you for that. Like, those were some of my best days. I feel like. Um, but anyways, they didn't have the foundation that I was looking for in Europe. And as bad as it is in America with the shades, guys, it is ten times worse I promise you in Europe like the like the conversations aren't happening the makeup is not being made it was the most extreme thing I've ever seen so I go to a Sephora basically in tears by myself because I didn't want to tell anybody like I'm sad because I can't find the makeup that matches my skin you know what I mean it's it's it seemed small at the time looking back I wish I could have just give myself a hug and just then like, you need to figure this out. But anyways, I go into Sephora in tears and I run into a man who also, no one's speaking English, of course. So I'm like really in a bad way. Um, But he, a man comes up to me in Sephora who works there and he's really understanding what I'm saying. And he brought me to the Fenty section, which is done by Rihanna, who she, her stuff is sold worldwide. Like y'all, she is it. And Fenty, is it. Um, I'm not a makeup blogger or anything. I can't give any recommendations that are sound, but what I do know is that you have, if you have a darker skin tone or the lightest skin tone, Fenty's got you covered anyways. Um, anyways, so you brought me to that foundation. It's the one that I use now. And it was such an insane moment where I realized how important, It is to support brands that support me and that support people that look like me. And so that's something that I try to do in my day-to-day is just share what I'm using for in case there are girls or women following me who don't know how to find a foundation that fits them. They don't know how to find clothes that really accentuate their body. They don't know who to go to to get their hair done. You know what I mean? Which is something that I've struggled with in the past, all of those elements for sure. And so what I try to do now is just when I find something that works, like you're not going to hear the end of it because I want to make sure that I'm getting it as far and wide as possible. Um, But going back to your question about the wedding and getting my makeup and my hair done, that is something that I've not faced yet, but I know it's something that I'm going to need to be upfront about at the beginning of the process, just so that I can have my makeup there with me. My, the girl that does my hair, who's like, honestly, one of my really good friends? I know she'd come with me. Um, So it's definitely something that I'm ready to handle, but also something that I'm not that I'm not, as nervous as I was before, because I know that the people that are going to ask me to be in their weddings would know that we need to have this conversation and would be really, really wonderful for it. Okay, let's see. What other questions do we have? Oh, I really loved this one. So one of my friends asked me a question. She, in her career field, she works with children a lot within their schools, and she's currently working at a school that is is it's a lot older lack of funding so a lot of the materials from what she was describing to me are just or I don't even know if it's a lack of funding but everything is just out of date which I feel like is also just school systems um, specifically in the south too um, public school systems sometimes can be really really underfunded which causes them or which makes it honestly almost impossible to get the new materials that some kids have now for learning And she was talking about something she noticed is that in the books, the cards that they're using, the movies, the posters on the wall, every single person is white with blonde hair. Like not just white, like not just like, you know, like maybe like an olive skin tone white person, like white with blonde hair. And she said, that is it. And it stood out to her more and more because she's looking at the kids and they don't look that way. These are, she's working with kids that, you know, all they're seeing are these white, faces and figures and being told that that's beautiful and being told that this is right and being told that this is what people look like, but they don't look like that. And so she was just asking me, was there a point in my life or what age was I when I recognized that people in the pictures and the books and things like that around me didn't look like me? And that's such a good question, because I think looking back, it was very similar for me with the schools that I was going to. I think it has to do with the time frame, probably more so than the, the actual schools themselves. But this was when, like, I'm, I'm not I mean, I'm acting like I'm 80 years old. Like, I'm not that old. But um, this was before, at least the conversations that are happening now were even going on. And. I remember the thing that got me the most was I just wanted my hair to be straight so badly. And I was in, I think I was, I had to have been like second, second, third or fourth grade, kind of within that area was when my parents had to have a conversation with me and say, we understand that you're surrounded by girls with long, straight hair. We understand that everyone that you're seeing in movies and things like that, like I'm I'm thinking like Ella Enchanted is the first thing that comes to mind. And like, they're like, we realize that what you're seeing as beauty And what's normal is what you want, but that is not what you are specifically and you're beautiful in this way. And there's realms and layers and and a deepness to it. And it was so interesting to have that conversation with them because looking back and and thinking through, you know, when you're at that stage of life, you don't want to stand out. Like now all we want to do is stand out, right? Like we're wearing neon. We're like looking crazy. We're (laughs) getting tattoos. Like all we want to do is stand out and to be different and be unique, which I think is beautiful and crazy, like amazing, crazy. It's exactly how I want my kids to be growing up. But when you're in that stage of life, the last thing you want to be is unique. You want to fit in, you want to look like everybody else, you want to be like everybody else. And that's kind of what you strive for. So to never have had the option of doing that, um, especially with the way we moved around so much, um, I was just consistently put in these smaller schools because my parents just thought that's probably what, what would be the most consistent if they just kept me in the same kind of school. Uh, but those same kind of schools had the same kind of people, had the same kind of teachers, had the same kind of posters. Um, and I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I listened to about probably four or five a day. So they're all kind of merging together. But in this one specifically, oh, it was Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. And he was talking to, I want to say it was Natalie Portman, who just wrote, she rewrote a lot of children's stories in a way that is gender fluid and is racially diverse. I mean, they were starting at the bottom, uh, basically. And so she really switched it around. And he was talking about how it must have been so interesting growing up as a woman, because you're seeing all the posters of the presidents and of Einstein and of all these, you know, famous white men. And you're not seeing any posters of anybody that looks like you. You're not seeing posters of women. You're not seeing posters of black women. You're not seeing posters of really anything, anything but. Um, and, And it just had me reflect on that, too, and thinking at the time, no, I did not understand. Like, I wasn't like, well, where are the black people? That wasn't like the question entering my head because it was all I'd ever seen. So, I would say that when I started to really understand the importance of it was probably probably later on in high school, um and that's also when the posters were shifting and the conversations were shifting, and I was starting to realize like like I'll never forget when I saw a poster of Serena Williams in one of my classes in high school, which like I don't play tennis, I'm not idiot th- you know i' don't, I do not have the athletic ability of her, I'm not an athlete, but seeing that, I remember I looked at it and I felt awesome, and it didn't feel like you know, it didn't feel like, well, oh gosh, why are they doing this? Like now they're just trying to single everybody out or anything like that. It really felt incredible to see. Um, And I think it was good for the white kids and the black kids in the room because the white kids were like, yeah, that's somebody that's freaking awesome. That's different. That's not someone who's been dead for 80 years. Like this is someone that I understand that I want to look up to. And for the black kids, it meant, I think even more because it's all of those things. Plus that's someone that looks like me. That is incredible enough to have a poster about them. So I hope that makes sense. I hope I answered the question. Um, But thankfully, I think that's changing in a lot of schools. But what's important to understand is not all schools can do that. Uh, But luckily, there are people like my friend in those environments who can at least spot it and be thinking of that when she moves on um, and can make sure that that changes in the classrooms that she's in. So amazing question. Um, Let's see. What is another one? Okay. Okay. The, I got this question a couple of times, so I'm going to kind of merge them into one. So basically, the background of the question is with the, the, um, the murder of George Floyd, the situations that were really happening over the summer that amped up the conversations that we're having now, how does that feel for me, and was it exhausting to be the person that your friends turn to for guidance, is basically a summary of, of a couple of questions that I got. Um, that is a great question. It is something I've talked about a little bit before um, on social media, but something that, and I hope I'm not repeating myself to, to too many of you guys, but I remember feeling so angry, which was not it that anger is not really a part of my personality. I think I get flustered and I can get frustrated um, and I can be impatient. but anger is something that I really rarely feel um, and even less rarely act out on. And so I remember feeling just like pissed off because it wasn't the first time this had happened at nowhere near it. And usually my first emotion was sadness. You know, how can I have a conversation with people? How can I put my thoughts out there thinking that way? But when this happened, I was just pissed off. And I was, every text I got almost pushed me closer and closer to the edge, even though that's not where anyone was coming from. People were honestly checking in and then asking, what can I do for you? But I think what made me so mad was that I didn't have an answer because it felt like the world was against me and anybody who looked like me, thought like me, felt like me, spoke like me, everything. I was like, this is the end of the world. I can't take it. Um, And so that's what it felt like um, at first, which was really, really difficult. And so I had a really good conversations with one of my friends from college and we were talking on the phone and I was just telling him how I it was the first time I really voiced how I felt. And I was like, honestly, I am just, I don't want to talk to anybody. I was like, I've not responded to any texts. I'm not calling people back. Like, I'm just saying, thank you. Appreciate it. Goodbye. And he, I thought he would be like, yeah, me too. Forget those people. But instead he was like, well, I'm actually starting a book club. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? He was like, I'm really about to, and he, he, toes the line perfectly I think between wanting to educate others but not not he's not going to if people come to him to be educated he's going to welcome them in but he understands his place and the fact that like also people have the responsibility to learn on their own and if they're going to come to him they need to come with education reasoning and honesty about where they are which and we were having this conversation about it And he was like, yeah, like don't text those people back yet if you don't feel ready to text them back. But he was like, use this time and this energy to think of how you want to move forward, not to just stand still in your sadness and bitterness and anger. And so that is what I decided to do from that point on, and I'm still figuring it out, kind of how I handle the conversations. I think it's a lot easier to have this conversation with somebody that I talk to every day versus somebody that I haven't talked to in months that's suddenly like, how can I do this? How can I do this? And that can be really difficult. So what I do is I take my time in responding, which it kills me to not respond to people. Like uh, sometimes I'll forget to text people back, which like if I've done that, I'm so sorry. But. It's always in the back of my head somewhere. And so like, I don't ever truly forget to talk to somebody back ever just because that's my mindset. And so it's always in the back of my head. And so I think it's just gotten to a point where if I can have the conversation with somebody, I will, If I don't feel, if I feel like the person hasn't done enough research, they don't have enough information, I'll just start sending links. And I'll be like, honestly, talk to me after you've listened to this, read this, do this, you know what I mean? Um, Or, you know, just trying to use my social media as a platform where if somebody follows me, there's no way they don't know which book to read to try to understand more about segregation. There's no way they don't know which documentary to watch to learn more about James Baldwin. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way that you can associate yourself with me and have not been given paths to resources. And so that's something that I really balance around this podcast that I'm doing now is I'm not just doing this to educate other people. I'm doing this honestly more so to make people that look like me and feel like me feel like they're in a place where they're heard. But the really awesome part of that is that so many other people want to hear it too, even if they don't understand it, even if they haven't walked in my shoes, his shoes, her shoes. So many of you guys that are listening are choosing to engage. And I think that that is incredible. And it's my favorite thing about people. Um, and, And this is kind of the way that I'm doing it. So I think A lot of it stirred. A lot of what was going on this past summer really got my writing up. It really got my my emotions flowing in a way that I could turn it into something. So I guess, honestly, a direct result would probably be this podcast, which is so crazy, which I obviously just realized if you can't tell. (laughs) Um, Okay, here is... An interesting question. Okay. With Harriet Tubman most likely to be placed on the $20 bill, how does this make you feel? Does it just appear to be the government placing a band-aid over the open wounds of systematic racism and calling it a day? Or do you think it is a step in the right direction of acknowledging black history and its impact on our nation? Um, wow. I really, that's a, that's a tough one. I think my immediate reaction to the idea of Harriet Tubman being put on the twenty dollar bill is like, well, hell yeah! Like that's awesome, you know what I mean? Um, But I was sorry to reference Twitter so much in this in this episode, but I was on Twitter the other day, and someone and I I wish I had it up up with me, but basically someone was saying they didn't want Harriet Tubman on the twenty dollar bill. Black woman was saying this um, because the idea of putting a former slave on money, which you trade to get to receive things, something about that sounds backwards, right? And it's tricky, it's so tricky. And I think that there are a lot of different ways to think about it, but my biggest hesitation, and ever since I've read that, it changed my mindset. I think before that I was like, honey, put Harriet Tubman on every, put Harriet Tubman on the front of my house. Like I don't like do it, like put her everywhere. But that was a really interesting way of looking at it in a way that I hadn't pushed myself yet and thinking, well, what does that say to put someone that was previously sold and traded on what she was sold and traded for, which was money and greed? I don't know, y'all. That's all I'm going to say on that point. Let me think about that one a little bit more. I hope that makes sense. I hope I didn't just like it. I feel like someone's not going to love that answer, but, um, yeah, honestly, that's, that's the most honest way I can answer it. I don't have the right answer for it, but I am thinking really seriously about deeper meanings and what representation is versus tokenism, which is a topic I love to talk about. Um, okay. What's another one? What has been the most valuable lesson you've learned about yourself slash realization throughout these last few months? I think the most valuable thing I've learned about myself in the past few months is that I, there are kind of two paths for the way that I like to live my life. And I think it's either I get really happy to kind of disconnect and to disengage sometimes because I feel like there's less risk and there's less risk of making people upset there's less risk of failure publicly there's you know less of everything which can be really safe and can feel really good and then there's this other side of my personality where i'm the complete opposite and i'm like let me put any and everything i can think say speak believe understand research out there for people to to take it in and i think that i get i feel complete I feel like I'm completely livened by that side of the personality that I just mentioned putting things out there for people to take in um and not because there's not still a fear of failure or of just embarrassing myself or you know and sometimes I'll be like honestly is anybody even listening to what I'm doing (laughs) which can be a really really spooky and horrible way to feel but I just the other way is to is too disengaged that I just can't kind of go through my day doing it. And it's hard for me. I, I actually wrote something the other day. I've got my notebook right here. Um, Cause I was just watching this virtual event of some authors that I really love. Shout out to random house books for that really amazing event on spiritual thought. Um, and I wrote something I was just writing while I was listening to it. And I was thinking about how these authors have put out so much because all these authors, they, they're not fiction writers. They were talking about, um, in different ways their spiritual life and it's the way that they're putting it forward. Spiritual, not necessarily pertaining to religion for some of them too, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I wrote, I was writing these things down as I'm listening to it and I was writing down how I felt. And I basically said what I just said, wrote what I just said. And I part, the last thing I said was I worry everyone prefers me in my quietness. Should I push through or let go? And when I say let go, I mean like let go of everything, like stop, doing what I'm doing, stop the podcast, stop my Instagram, stop my Facebook, like really just like be silent, which is sometimes what I feel like I should do. Or should I push through these feelings of uncomfort, these feelings of confusion, these feelings of, you know, is anybody really listening to see what's on the other side? Um, and then I just circled push through. So I guess that's what I'm gonna do. And that's the big realization I think that I've had more recently. Let's see. What other questions do we have? Okay. Um, this, I feel like this is a great one to end on, honestly. Um, so this one was said, how can we as white people become a better ally? Not just posting a black square or retweeting black lives matter, but what are concrete ways we can help without coming across as fake or being a part of just a social media bandwagon. And then she said, I feel like I see this come up in a lot of conversations. I make an effort to read books, articles, watch documentaries, educate myself, but always wonder if there's more I can be doing yeah, I mean, that is like the question of the season. I feel like every everyone's wondering, what the hell are we supposed to do? I ask myself that question every day I wake up and I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do with today? Um, and And it's hard and it's not easy, but I think that and it's difficult to give advice on this because I am a Black woman who, you know, doesn't really have the choice to be an ally or not. I am like the, I'm like, I'm right in the middle of it, um, along with all my other Black brothers and sisters. And so it is difficult to answer this question in a way that I is helpful. But the first thing that comes to mind is to keep educating and to keep the conversations going but to always come to the conversations with something to give. Right. So I'm always talking about like giving and receiving in life and conversations and relationships, whatever it might be. And I think that so often I'll see white people go to black people with open arms, open minds and empty knowledge. Right. So they're like coming and they're saying, fill me up, fill me up. And we're like, we could, we could, we have to, I can't fill you up. Like I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm good, and I need to like make sure that my psyche is okay. When I'm seeing, you know, people that look like my dad, my uncle, my brother, my sister being killed on television, and no one going to jail for that. Um, and so it, it can be difficult when someone comes to you with that, versus when someone comes to you with a point of view, with knowledge, with research, with ideas, and then you're just having as crazy as it might sound, a back and forth conversation on the way that the world is, which for me, I'll speak for myself, is a lot more stimulating than try to fill somebody up with random knowledge. And so that's probably the best way that I can answer that question. That's honestly all I have to say on it. I hope it makes sense. I hope it's helpful. But basically, I think just treating people as your equal, as opposed to treating them like they're this high up power that you can never understand, or someone that's lower than you that that you have to be like, oh, well, how, let me help you. Like, don't like sympathizing, if that makes sense. Like, just treat people as your equal and see how that happens, which is kind of interesting. Well, that was awesome. Um, I, I answered most of the questions that I got. A lot of them were, it was pretty easy to combine them, which was really cool. Um, but some of them were questions that, I mean, obviously you can probably tell I've never answered before or had to answer before. But I loved doing this. I want to thank again all the people, oh my gosh, that sent these to me and the people that were totally willing to, but maybe I didn't get get it to, from you in time. Um, thank you to you guys, too, because what I was realizing after I was asking people for these questions was like, what an incredible world the Lord has built within my life to feel that I can go to people from all different races and all different backgrounds to ask, what makes you uncomfortable and what do you not want to ask me? And for them to then ask it, right? Like that's um, so cool and, and such an incredible blessing. And I hope to do something like this again. I'd be interested to see if you guys like it. Um, if you guys have any other questions, I'm thinking about doing a little part two because there's still a handful of questions I wasn't able to answer or haven't gotten yet that I know are on the way. So I might be doing another part of this later on, but for now, I'm so happy to to have this with you guys and to give you guys this episode. Um, I'm really pumped for next week's episode because I'm interviewing somebody that is just like professional mentor, life mentor, like everything that he does as an author and how he lives his life is, I really kind of use as a sounding board for myself, um, and kind of how I want to be looked at and how I hope people receive me. So I'm excited to have them on. I'm so freaking nervous. Like, oh my gosh, my voice is probably going to sound different. You'll probably hear me shaking. Um, but it's a surprise and you guys will just have to wait and freaking see. Uh, anyways, I hope you've had awesome weekends. Let's boogie into this next week. Y'all Monday, the nine to five is tomorrow. I'm not looking forward to it, but we will power through it um and let me know your thoughts on this episode I always want to hear I always want you to text me I always want you to dm me I want it all um and I love you guys I appreciate you guys and I'll see you next week